going to be reading in a few moments from the book of Revelation. If you'd like to find that in your Bible, right at the back of the book. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a seat near you. And going to read through the entire chapter in a few moments. Revelation 12 is a is a very clear vision that is given to show to the churches that John is writing to, the seven churches that the book begins with, that who he is writing these visions to, and then also for us as the church of Jesus Christ today, he's writing to declare to them cosmic realities, to open up their eyes to things that their eyes cannot naturally see in order to answer the question, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Once in a while, somebody will, will ask me that question. Barry, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think is going on in the world? And I'll say, you know what? It really doesn't matter what Barry thinks about what's going on in the world. What matters is that Barry understands what does the scriptures declare about what is going on in the world? That's what matters. And that's what mattered to the church in John's day and in today as well. And so this is a significant vision because it gives us an authoritative declaration of things that we can't know by any other means other than that God should declare them to us. And so what a gift that is for us to be able to receive these and know these. They are visions that, that shape our perception of the world. You have a perception of the world. I have a perception of the world. I have a lens by which I, I answer these questions. What, what in, in the world is going on? And I believe that the book of Revelation is a book that we must use often in the church of Jesus Christ, not only to, to show his supremacy, but also to, to answer the question, what in the world is going on? And it gives us these visions that allow us quick recall to realities that are so significant and important for us to be able to understand about the world in which we live. Quick recall about God's throne, for example. If you hear Pastor Paul say once in a while, and you do hear him say this, and I'm glad for it frequently, that there is a throne and it is occupied. Do you remember him saying that? Well, he's, he's relying on our ability to quick reference, to quick recall something that we know. And what we know is this vision in the book of Revelation. And so there, this vision also has in it, I believe, something about the reality in our world that we need quick recall for, that we need to be able to say something like, there is a dragon in the world and he is furious. to be able to quickly recall a significant reality that is going on in the world and have it shape our perception of the world in which we live. Revelation 12 will retell the gospel story and the story of Acts, the coming of Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel and its victory over sin like we have celebrated here at the Lord's table this morning by declaring us these realities that are invisible to the eye. And the vision is of, of a cast out one, 
One who is cast down from heaven. One who is cast out, and it's contrasted with a sent one. The cast out one is the devil. It's called the dragon, that ancient serpent, identified very clearly. The sent one is Jesus, also identified very clearly. But the great difference between the sent one and the cast out one is the question, the answer to this question. Where do you feel safe? Do you feel safe in this world? Do you feel secure in this world? The answer for those who are looking to the sent one is that they feel safe because they are in God. That's why they feel safe. That's why they are secure. In fact, that's why the devil is so furious is because he can't thwart their safety. But there is a dragon in this world and he is furious. And his mode is this, to make us not to be safe with God, but to make us feel safe in our sins. And that's a good description of what in the world is going on in the world in which we live right now. People feel safe in their sins. They feel safe in complete rebellion and in violation of all that God has ever said. There's safety in it in our culture. You can walk and live and speak in our culture in a way that is in complete obstinacy to God and you're in the normal. The woman that is described through the text is Israel. And she gives birth not only to Jesus, but the, the, the narrative goes beyond the Gospels into the book of Acts also, where God gives birth to the Messiah through the covenant people Israel, but also gives birth to the church at Pentecost. And the text will describe the dragon's war, not only with the Jesus, the son, but also with the church, who is the offspring of the woman. Harvey, would you please come? And we're going to begin reading at verse one, and you'll read the first, the first six verses, showing the dragon revealed in his malice. It's the Christmas story, but with a dragon. Revelation 12, one to six. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head, heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. 
But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Thank you. So the dragon can't destroy the sun, nor can he destroy the gospel. And that's what this next paragraph is about, beginning at verse 7. Linda, would you please come and pick it up at verse 7? Thank you. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, all, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And we do too, right? If we don't believe that Jesus is coming soon, the devil does. Verse 12, verse 13 rather, is where it gets really interesting for the church. All of the images that are evoked here, a lot of them are from the book of Exodus. I hope you've read the book of Exodus. And it is the story of God taking his children from the, the jaws of the dragon, literally from Pharaoh, and taking them into a safe place, away from destruction, out into the wilderness where he could take care of them. And it's the irony of, of, of the God's people there. They're, they're in a barren, dry place, but they're safe. And God took them into the desert to demonstrate that very thing, that they are safe, to show him his power, to show him his, his might and the, the fire that went with them and the cloud that went with them and the water from the rock and the, the manna from, from the sky. And it makes the dragon furious. Dan, would you please come and, and pick it up at verse 13? Thank you. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river, out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman 
and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Thank you, Dan. I hope the next time you see an eagle soaring, you'll remember that it is a biblical metaphor in the scriptures of how God bears his people up, just as he did take them out of Egypt. And all of the psalms that, that we read and pray and sing that help us to understand that we are, are of refuge in the wings of our God. And yet this deluge, this, this spewing out of a dragon in the world, which is the same thing that happened in Genesis chapter 3, the spewing out of, of a great lie in order to destroy what God had made. And that spewing out is that of lies and deception. I'd like to draw attention particularly to verse 17 this morning as it shows plainly the methods of, of Satan's war. What in the world is, is going on? Well, there's, there's a war, we, and we are a wartime people. But verse 17, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's us, that's the church. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And I'd like to draw your, our attention to those two significant things about keeping the commands of God and holding to the testimony of Jesus because those are Satan's method in his fury, in his war, in his malicious hatred of what God has made in order to destroy us, to help or to try to keep us from the commands of God, and to try to keep us and hold us from the testimony of Jesus. And so this is critical to, to understand the war. Anything that makes God's commands appear to be ridiculous. Anything that makes God's commands appear to be harmful, to make them appear unloving, to make them appear archaic, to make them appear as not in our best interest is, is part of the war is part of the delusion, is part of, of what is being spewed out in the serpents, the dragons, fury. Also, secondly, not only those who hold the commands of God or obey the commands of God, but those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so anything that, that's our identity. Do you know what it means to, to testify, to, to, to belong to Jesus? It means that our, our identity is in Jesus, that's the testimony of Jesus. It means we belong to him. It means that in this world in which we make our way, we find our identity in him. We find our greatest love in him. And we find our purpose in him as our savior, our shepherd, our lover, our creator, our maker, and our Lord. That is the testimony of Jesus. And so anything that tries to give us a new identity now, the world would never try to do anything like that, would it? It would never be so malicious and so cruel 
and so conniving and so deceiving so as to try to make us make our way in this world with an identity other than belonging to Jesus? When did this war start? When does it begin? A lot of people ask that question. Well, you only need to go back to the beginning of the book of Revelation and read John's word to the churches earlier in this letter and see that this war was already well underway. That John, as a pastor, understands the necessity and the urgency of this vision for the church of his day as the last, probably the last living apostle putting an exclamation mark on all that God has said, saying, you need to see all of this again. You need to see the whole breadth of redemption. You need to see how it all ties in with, with God's stories all through, all through redemptive history. You need to see it in such a dramatic way that it has quick recall for you because you're at a war, you're in danger. And to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, he says over, seven times over, he says to the churches, to the one who overcomes. But these two things go together. I mean, just note that incidentally, that the keeping the commands of God and holding to the testimony of Jesus are not something that, that can be divided. They, are, they are, are one greater whole one coin, perhaps, with, with two sides. The devil would love nothing more in his seeking to destroy us, to deceive us to think that we can keep the commandments of God without the testimony of Jesus. He would love that, for, to, to, to turn the whole concept. Well, the church, that's all about keeping the commandments of God. And to turn that into a minefield of self-righteousness of pride, of despair. Because it's through the testimony of Jesus that we understand the commandments of God, how they live in our life. He is the command keeper. He is the one who's kept all of the commands. And so it's because we are in Christ that we feel safe. He is our command keeper. But also, we cannot hold to the testimony of Jesus without loving and adoring God's commands. The devil would love for us to confess Jesus everywhere we go and have absolutely no regard for the commands of God because it would lead us to a complete and wholesale hypocrisy. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you pretend to be children of Abraham and you don't do what God says? Here's the main point that I'd like to get across this morning. If you don't get anything else this morning, I, I hope that you can understand this from, from this vision that, that we've read. And it is something that is declared to us by divine revelation, that there, there, there is a cosmic reality that shows that the conspiracy is real and the conspirator is real. In other words, we don't have to depend upon upon uh, rumors <laughs> or upon whisperings of, oh, what, what, this, what, what's going on in the world. There's something that is clear and that is declared to us about what is going on in the world. And the conspiracy is real and the conspirator is real. And the conspirator is the dragon. 
His name is Satan, that ancient serpent. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul says that we are not ignorant of his devices. And that's true. So we don't have to, we don't have to guess about what he does. I've, I've been helped by these words of God to his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8, 13. Not only in the last couple of years when the word conspiracy has become common in our vocabulary, but, but through all of my life, you know, the world, the world's always been a place where you can at times feel unsafe, where you hear things that are unsettling and you think, I don't know what's going to come of that. I don't know how that's going to affect my life. I don't know how that's going to change things for me. And so I've, I've used these words for, for many, many years. It's Isaiah 8, 12 that says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. So this is, this is God speaking directly to his, his prophet or all these whisperings, all these rumors, all these things about going on in, in the nations around them about what this king is doing and what that army is doing and who's going where and who's doing what. And God takes his, his prophet and says, Isaiah, look at me. A lot of those things are true about what's going on in the world. But they're all under my hand. And so he says this to his prophet, don't call what they call conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor do not be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. In other words, I say, you've only got one fear in life to worry about. And that's your fear of me. I'm God Almighty. The word conspiracy is a word that has been introduced to our vocabulary a lot. I've heard it mentioned quite a few times over the last couple of years in a significant way. And I believe that our, our path as God's people is, is made plain by these declarations of realities that, that are opened up to us in the vision as we find a way to make our path in this world without getting lost in the subplots without getting lost in the drama of things here or things there, without being lost in, in fear or, or cynicism or despair or complaining, but to keep our eye on the real, the universal, and the cosmic conspiracy. Do you believe it? Do you believe the declarations of the scripture that show to us things about our world that we are to understand, that we are to use to make our way in this world? Again, focusing on these two ideas, the commands of God and and the fear or the testimony of Jesus. And I ask the question, what does it look like to be winning? What does it look like to be winning the war in the midst of cosmic pressure to compromise? 
First of all, it looks like this. It looks like, it looks like God rules us. That God's commands have his way with us, their way with us. And we don't practice our religion with a form or a kind of self-autonomy that, that views ourselves, And it's not only our perception of the world that is so critical, but our perception of ourselves in relation to God. That we don't view ourselves with, with some kind of, of reserved autonomy from God in what he speaks. So in other words, a, a key question for us over and over again that we have to be very intentional about asking. And I, I, I understand that <clears throat> as leadership in the church, this, is, this has been critical for us these last two years to <clears throat> make our way through things and say, what is our path? How do we do this? How do we navigate this in, in the world in which we live? Say, so, well, the scriptures are clear. We have a declaration of something that, that shows us our path. And that path largely is found by asking ourselves this question. Am I being asked, compelled to do something that is a violation of God's word? It's a very simple question, but it's a, it's a universal question to every aspect of life in our, our personal lives, in our homes, in our families, but also in our church and in our worship and in our leadership, and in the decisions that we make. And can we see when we are being asked <laughs> to do something that is contrary to God's word? Do we understand where the war is? I'm not sure that Eve had any idea that she was at war. Adam and Eve, I'm not sure they had any idea that they were at war when that great question was posed to them. Has God really said? You know, the, remember this is all about deception, right? And so sometimes, actually all the time with deception, it's, it's when you think you know where the conspiracy is that we can be most vulnerable and, and in danger. And Imagine all of the different ways in our culture, in our world, in our entertainment, in our reading, where the question is subtly posed, has God really said? It's okay, you can laugh at that. It's okay, you can giggle at that. That's okay, you can be amused at that. That's okay, you can sit in front of that, it's okay. I don't know that Eve had any idea of the malice, of the hatred, of the sheer desire to destroy that was in those words, has God really said? So that's a key question. Is there, are we being asked? Secondly, that belonging to Jesus is never cause for shame. That's a sign that we are are winning. It's a way that we make our path in this world by the testimony of Jesus. It is in Jesus that we live with new identities. And so another key question for us is, is this, as we make our way in the world, am I being asked to put on other identities? Am I being asked to understand my 
my identity and my place in this world in different ways and in different terms than, than simply that I belong to Jesus? Is it a cause for shame? Is it a cause of embarrassment? Am I muted from saying that Jesus is my greatest treasure in the world? We live in a very broken world. And in conclusion, I would like to simply make this very pastoral. The reality of living in a world of a furious dragon means that we both live and worship in that world that is so very, very broken. What should we look like? How does our light shine? What should be most display on, on most display in our character? Remember when God gives us this vision and makes plain to us the, the marks of the devil, he does it so that we could be perpetual complainers, right? <laughs> so we could get together and shake our heads and, oh, the world's such a bad place, right? Is that, is that, how, we, is that how we make our, our way in this world? Is that, is that the testimony of Jesus? It, it's, it's not at all. Remember when God took his people out into the wilderness and that was a barren place. That was not an easy place to live. There was no water there. There was no way to see their future there. There was no way to understand how they could be sustained there. And yet God took them out there to show them that very thing, that look at me, trust in me. I can take care of you in a wilderness. And what did they do? They complained. In fact, that's all they did, is complain. I think we come, become rather ironic in this world if we're weaponized on every hand to counter all that opposes God. And there is so much that opposes God and we do need to understand it. But I believe that there's something ironic about us if we forget one of the most often repeated commands in the scripture, which is to give thanks to God. Give thanks to him over and over again. The scripture commands God's people to make our way in this world. Yes, in, in, in light of, of, of this, <clears throat> even in light of all that the scriptures declare us about the realities in which we live. Because we have a path to giving thanks. That's what the testimony of Jesus is all about. To give thanks to him even in a wilderness, even in a desert place, and to trust in him. 
And we do that through the testimony of Jesus. He rules the nations with an iron rod. He is our shepherd. And it is our testimony of Jesus that allows us to thrive in a world through the commands of God, in a world where everything about the dragon and his fury would see us destroyed. See, what made the devil so furious is that the people were safe. <laughs> That's what made him so angry. They were safe. He, 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 he could not destroy them. Do you want to make your enemy angry, furious? <laughs> Show him thriving in the midst of all of his hatred. See, when you put the commands of God and the testimony of Jesus together, there isn't only merely an obedience to the commands of God, but with the testimony of Jesus, there is a thriving in the commands of God. What thwarts the devil's purpose of our destruction is, is not only merely keeping the commands, but thriving in doing so. In other words, in this broken world, we have joyful homes. We have marriages that are intimate. We have friendships that endure. We have people who live their lives with confidence because they, they are secure. And that's the testimony of Jesus. Steve, would you please come? And we're going to close in prayer. I've asked Steve as one of our elders, please, to lead us in prayer. If you're visiting with us, we often use a phrase here called praying the scriptures. And Steve is going to read from a psalm, which will be on the screen. And feel free to keep your eyes open so that you can reflect on it. But we believe it's significant to use the words of God to respond to God and pray to God. Reading from Psalm chapter 57, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. What does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? Well, David shows us. It means to pray in the confidence that the Lord will fulfill his purposes for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we always come under your protective care. Forgive us for not seeing you in times of stress. Help us to always look to you for deliverance and praise you as we experience your providential care. Guard us from the deceiver and his desperate hostility towards us. Thank you for the victory in Christ we already have 
and joyous anticipation of eternity with you. It is with confidence we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.